to go live. <clears throat> a lot of folks been praying for me around the world, actually. Had some texts and phone calls. We really appreciate that. And uh, I'm uh, recovering swiftly. So uh, we'll talk about it. Amen. So I want to share some things with you tonight. Give you a little. You deserve to know if your pastor's okay or not, whether he's going to be around. Well, the bad news, if anybody didn't want me to be around, is I got my vessels fixed, so now I'm going to be longer winded than I was before. So, my father had open heart surgery 25 years ago, and uh, that's one of my fans, I think, over there. My father had open heart surgery 25 years ago, and every time he goes every year, they say his vessels are as clean as they've always been, so he's my poster child, my dad, with that. So I'll be handed off to his uh, cardiologist in Knoxville because same genetic makeup and everything. So uh, that's who I'll be seeing annually or semi-annual, however that works. So <clears throat> I want to kind of give you the backdrop of what happened. Then I want to share a few things with you that the Lord started revealing to me. Uh, and there's some things in here that I got reminded of and some fresh stuff that the Lord's beginning to teach me. Uh, these kind of moments when your life is interrupted, uh, and we've all had them. They're all, sometimes they're different. I mean, my family had one about two years ago that interrupts it. It reveals things about yourself, things about life, things about God, so that we can grow, mature, and be more like Christ. That's the objective, right? So let's pray, and then let me share a few things with you tonight. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you do. We know you're in charge. Once again, you've proven that, Lord. And we know that you're doing things inside of us in every season, every situation that makes us more like you. Lord, we want to be an example to this world. We know we're running out of time as a group. We know that the world is coming to its expected end, that which you've planned. And we know you're going to put an end to sin and death and all those things. And we, we look forward to that, Lord. But we want to be equipped. We want to be the most holy, pure, and equipped, strong, faithful people so that we can be what you've called us to be and be a part of your plan and be effective, effective in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, let me just give you a little bit of a backdrop. We were on our way back from Arizona, and, um, and this, I mean, you know, God's got a sense of humor in some ways, so or some things are light, but Andrew had planned to stop and uh, conquer the, the piece of beef out there. <laughs> and uh, so when we pulled off there in Amarillo, uh, I, two or three of us wasn't as hungry, but that was where he had to meet his destiny with that. And so we just said, hey, we'll, we'll go on down the road. Y'all can catch up after you do that, him and Cheyenne. So we went across the street, and the roads are different in Amarillo. They've got these access roads that run right along with the interstate. So we made our way around to the other side to go keep coming this direction. Stopped to go to the restroom, and I was the only one that needed to go to the restroom. And so Todd and Rob were outside. So I went to the, uh, I remember standing in the restroom thinking, I'm about to go out. I'm about to go out. I thought, well, I'm, <clears throat> maybe I'm dehydrated, been in that high elevation uh, for several days we've been doing filming and stuff like that and so I just kept so 
that's the last thing I remember is turning away from the urinal and walking toward the outside of the restroom. And um, some guy was out there in the lobby, and evidently I told him, or he was near the restroom, I told him my name and that I needed help. So uh, Todd informed me and Rob that uh, he caught me and laid me on the ground, and the lady there was calling 911 inside, and he went outside with my name and found Todd and Rob. Of course, Todd said, as soon as he said, does anybody know Matthew? Todd said he knew something wasn't right, so he come run. So <clears throat> the next thing I remember, I'm waking up on the, uh, in an ambulance. Uh, and I had had what they thought initially was a seizure. I about, I about lost my job preaching. I, it wasn't because of dying of heart attacks, because I about bit my tongue off. If I'd bit my tongue off, I'd have been done. And that was like, you ask, it was like 12, 13 days before my tongue was back to normal. And uh, I'm thankful for my tongue. See, I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> you know, uh, I've been a coal miner and worked in a grocery store, and you can do every bit of that without a tongue, but you can't preach without a tongue. <laughs> you must have a tongue if you're going to preach. So that was kind of, so I'm on the ambulance and I'm starting to come to and, and the, the guy was being pretty rough with me, but Todd said I was kind of agitated, uh, wrestling a little bit with everybody. And so he said, Mr. Robbins, he said, your blood pressure is 207 over 120. And I remember thinking, uh, well, 120 don't sound too bad. That's what I was thinking in the back of my mind. And uh, so... They took me on over to the hospital, and I was in the ER probably a day and a half the rest of that night and part of the next day. So what they thought was going on was neuro, right? So for the first three days, this is why I was in the hospital so long, they were trying to find out what was going on with my brain. The good news is I did have one. <laughs> Some more good news is they couldn't find anything. Now, let me throw something Probably in the last year or so, I've been praying, and I said, Lord, you know, I got all these little agitators going on. I said, I know we're in the last days, and I said, I really wish you would come touch my body and get rid of these, because I don't want to be distracted. I want to be the best I can be in these last days, and all I can say is he took me up on it, <laughs> because they checked out everything. I don't, I don't have sugar. I'm not a diabetic. I don't have no brain problems. Well, that you could debate that, I guess, if you talk to me. <laughs> but nothing that shows up on the radar, right? And uh, they really worked me over. And uh, I <clears throat> couldn't figure out why I had a seizure. But uh, in, in the long run, I didn't. They, the cardiologist come in, and he, he saw some enzymes, stuff he didn't like. And so he said he was going to do a heart cath. And um, so the, he took me, this is probably the third day that I'm in the hospital, they take me to do a heart cath. Or maybe this is the fourth day, third or fourth day, they take me to do the heart cath. So those first three days, I understand why they did all that, but that really extended my hospital stay because I, they were looking for something totally different. And um, so he, he uh, went in to do the heart cath, and after it was over, he came in to talk to me. And he said, uh, I found three blockages. He said, you got one artery totally blocked. Said so you got the widowmaker that's almost blocked, and you got another artery that's almost blocked. And he said I could do stents. 
He said, I'm not sure I could push through that blocked artery. He said, uh, or if I did, I might break something loose. And he said, I believe you're a better candidate for open heart surgery. And uh, he said, I just, that's just my opinion. He said, your heart is good. Your heart squeezes good. Your heart's healthy. All your chambers, everything's working really good. He said, but you got three blocked arteries. And so he, he recommended that I see a surgeon. So <clears throat> I'm wrestling with all this. Now, my, the whole point of my life is, no matter what I'm doing, is to hear from God. And, you know, the things that are going through my head, Amy and them are on the way out at this point. Things that are going through my head is, I need to hear from God. Should I stay here? Should I submit to this? Should I, what should I do? You know, stents, whatever. So, in the meantime, he turns me over to a surgeon. And uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, I, I, am, I, I don't really know anybody, and I don't, I don't personally attack anybody, but some of the crazy stuff that comes out of those Ivy League schools uh, you know, that I speak against out of this pulpit, you know, things about sexuality and things that the world and things that they promote. Well, my doctor <clears throat> comes in, and she's a graduate of Yale. And you don't think God has a sense of humor. She went to John Hopkins. She went to Yale. She was born an Indian, not American Indian, but uh, the across the pond, paganism. But she was a spirit-filled believer. Amen. Praise God for that. And uh, so God, you know, He's got people everywhere, don't He? He's got them everywhere. And so she came in and she said, you know, we went over what the cardiologist had said, and she was very polite. She said, uh, listen, she said, I, I believe the Lord... Well, let me back up, because when I was in ICU, they were doing all the brain and cath and stuff. There was a lady who was a wonderful, believing Catholic nurse. Again, I just, what I learned through all this is God's got people everywhere, every walk of life. <laughs> that makes me want to cry, and I probably am going to cry some here in a minute. And she just kept saying to me, she said, Brother Robin, she said, I believe the Lord brought you here. I believe He brought you right here. And she kept telling me that and telling me that. And, uh, of course, I'm trying to work myself through all this and hear from God. And so the surgeon says she's the youngest, least experienced of the whole group. She's from Yale. And... She says, I believe the Lord sent you here. She said, I believe the Lord had brought you here for a reason. She said, I would be honored. And she called me pastor the whole time. She didn't call me by my name. So she honored my position. She kept calling me pastor. And she said, I, she said, it would be an honor for me to work on you. She said, I believe God's called me to help you. And she said, I will, I will make room for you in the morning. She said, if you want to go home, she said, I understand. She said, we're not trying to make money off of you. you can, we'll figure out a way to get you back to where you're from. She said, but I really believe God has brought you here for me to be, be a part of this. And I told her, I said, you know, I know who's in charge. And I don't, God can take me home today, tomorrow, next week. I said, but uh, if he's going to leave me here, I want to live the best life I can live. 
And I said, I trust what you're saying to me, and I believe there are no coincidences in a believer's life. And, and so she, she encouraged me, and of course the decision hadn't been made at this point. And um, so this was Monday, and the surgery, she, she X'd out a spot for me Tuesday morning to do open-heart surgery. You're talking about a guy who'd never spent a, more than three or four hours in that hospital, and that was in an ER room trying to pass a kidney stone once. And I went from never being in the hospital to spending 11 nights in the hospital. And uh, so that morning, of course, I've been, man, I went to every, because of going through the neuro stuff originally, thinking I had that kind of problem, I was in every part of that hospital getting tests run, they were monitoring everything, sugar, everything. And, uh, and the good news is I had a clean bill of health, with the exception of those three arteries. So y'all stuck with me probably for a while. Um, and so that morning I woke up and the Holy Spirit gave me a scripture. That's what I was waiting on for me to be able to say, yeah, this is what you want done. It's you, you want it done right here. I was waiting to hear from God. And those of you that have been going through Samuel with me on Thursdays, that's one of the things we pointed out from Dave, about David. And I've tried to pattern my life. Didn't matter what David was facing, he wanted to hear from God first, you know. And, and so <clears throat> I heard from God. And then I didn't put all this out. But then she came in uh, to see that morning what decision I had made. She came in ready even though I hadn't really told them for sure that I was going to go through with it. And uh, this is the word she gave me out of Deuteronomy 31. She said, I was praying for you this morning, and the Holy Spirit gave her this scripture to give me. She said, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now that's a good word, right? And that's a good word to hand off to anybody. But here's where it got specific. It says, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, Be strong and good courage, for you must go with this people to the land. God was saying to me, I'm not done with you. you got to keep going. you got to keep marching toward the land. I've called you to take these people into that land. And that's what just solidified the word I'd heard from God. Other people give me words of encouragement. And when the, but when your surgeon comes in and says, I've heard from God and here's what he told me to tell you. Uh, and sworn to their fathers give them, he shall cause them to inherit. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I said, let's do it. So I went in probably what was going to be a, maybe a four-hour surgery or maybe less than that. And uh, I had a 6'8 German anesthesiologist come in, knock me out slowly. Not with his fist, but. And, and uh, I'm one of those people that says, and you all, you've heard me talk like this probably. I said, uh, they said, well, what do you need? And I said, I don't need to know nothing. You know what you're doing. You do your job. I'll stay in my lane. You stay in yours. So um, they took me back, told my wife and them, well, it went a little longer than it should have. And uh, so they were a little concerned. But she came out, the surgeon came out later and said, listen, we, we lost a needle. We have to account for everything. We can't just sew him up and leave and not account for a needle. And she said, all that stuff's magnetic. And said, it, we, it took us a while to find, said, but it had been drawn up to a light and was stuck to a light. 
She said, but she said, we're like mechanics, you know, we can't just put something back together and have missing parts. And so she had a sense of humor too. And uh, she was one. And so, uh, but she said it worked in his favor. She said, because I got to sit, I got to watch his heart and all the work we'd done a lot longer than I normally would have. And so she, we got to watch everything we had done, make sure there was nothing leaking or not working proper. And, and she said, while I was in there, I did a little extra thing to uh, keep him from ever having a stroke. So they got new stuff they can do. And so she uh, keeps me from having to be on blood thinner and just a lot of things that, you know, they keep advancing, I guess, and everything. But she, uh, she uh, was encouraged and uh, encouraged all of my family. And she said, I said this is the wrong thing to tell the preacher, but she said, uh, my chest was so big they had to spread me apart further than my heart was so big. She said they had to spread my chest apart to work on my heart more. And I said, you shouldn't have told the preacher that. <laughs> preacher with a big heart. I said, that's a, I said, that's how I'm going to advertise from now on. <laughs> the preacher with the big heart's coming to town. Uh, uh, but she, uh, she said, same thing the cardiologist said. said, we're not giving you some more years to your life. We're putting you back on the road to live out what you've always going to live out. said, your heart's fine. It squeezes good. It works good. It's in good shape. said, we just had to fix these uh, arteries. And so <clears throat> she uh, uh, they had to do a few more things because of my chest cavity and my heart being a little larger than, and so uh, it's made me a little sore. But uh, the wind is the main thing I've been trying to get back is my wind, and they say that's the hardest thing to recover. But I've been on the treadmill. I was on the treadmill today some, and uh, everything's everything's going good. And so my blood pressure's been good. All that kind of stuff's good. So <clears throat> the the thing that hurt the well. The thing that hurt the worst was pulling those staples out because <laughs> they don't numb you or nothing. I'm like, I was, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, they're going to numb me, surely they're going to numb me. <laughs> but they didn't. And she said, their office, the lady in the office said that, uh, well, let me back up to this. <clears throat> my wife is telling me that everybody was coming in after the surgery. They got the air hose out really early and they were excited about that because I was breathing on my own really quickly uh, because there was nothing else wrong with me I mean they checked me out from head to toe and I'll throw this out there it looks like my gout's gone leaving so all this stuff's uh, working in my favor God I, when I was praying that prayer for the last year he he took me up on it I just didn't know he was going to do all of it in Amarillo <laughs> thought we might do it a little closer to home <laughs> Uh, so, uh, when I come to and they took the oxygen or the tube out of my throat, I was telling everybody how much I loved them. I was telling the surgeon and, and, uh, and I, I said, but now it's that agape love, you know, I was telling the nurses, because one of the nurses said, how do you think your wife will feel about you telling me how much you love? Me? I said, it's agape now. It's the God kind of love, you know, it's not, we're not talking. And so I was. Uh, trying to give some of that big heart away after the, after the surgery. So I had to stay in town to get released from her. She's a wonderful Christian. Uh, not all of her family is. You know, like I said, she was raised Indian, but uh, she's uh, written a book about being an overcomer. And uh, so she's, she was the youngest of the group, 
but she was the one that God had set set up for me. And uh, and we've she called me personally yesterday to check on me. Uh, and uh, so we're going to have another uh, tele-video conference, and then I'll probably be handed off to the group that my father's with. So that's kind of how it went. But one of the things they said to me, one of the last things they said was that I was the best-looking patient. <laughs> now, this is not Eros. Hold on just a minute. In the last four years, I was the best-looking patient they had had post-op. They'd never had anybody look that good that quick. Well, what made me look so bad, and most of you didn't see me uh, like this, when I had what they thought was a seizure, now they know it was a heart event, all my blood vessels burst around my eyes. Yeah, I mean, I looked like something off a scary movie. And uh, so I was in pretty rough shape there uh, physically uh, to look at, so... The Lord's been good to me. I mean, I, I don't. I feel great except for just a little sore right here, you know, and trying to get my wind back. But um, so that's kind of how this whole event took place. And I don't want to keep y'all here all night, but I just wanted y'all to know that, as far as I know, I've got a clean bill of health. I don't, I don't have any <clears throat> sugar problems, nothing. So, and. Uh, I've come to that point in my life where I, I want God's will to be done no matter what. And suffering is a part of the journey. Uh, and physical suffering. I started studying some of that in the hospital. Just how many people went through physical suffering, including our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, and so suffering is a part of working on us. It's also a part of us giving off His fragrance so people can see that we still love Him and trust Him in the midst of troubled times. So here's some thoughts I want to drop in on you. I'm not going to expound on them tonight, but you'll hear some of this in the near future. Uh, what are you in the pursuit of? When you have these kind of events in your life, it kind of helps you refocus. What are you in the pursuit of? I'll tell you, I'll just give you one little tidbit for me. And my wife, because she walked through this with me, and my family. But my wife and I had a couple of weeks there. Uh, was it two weeks? I can't remember. Twelve days, however long. But she came out and from the surgery until I got home the day before yesterday. You know, we just had a lot of conversation time. Uh, but like for me, retirement's not sitting off somewhere and doing nothing and enjoying whatever. Retirement looked for me looks more like going to the Navajo children's home and spending a couple of weeks and giving those people a break. I don't want to retire and quit serving people. I don't want to retire somewhere and, and live off of what I thought I had accomplished. I want to be like Joshua. I want to keep serving the Lord until He does call my number to go home. I, I, I don't want to make... Even retirement, I don't want to even make it about me. I want everything in my life to glorify God. The other thing I thought about as I was reading some scriptures about, the Bible says we should glorify God in everything, including how we eat. Wow. I got reminded a few things, you know. I don't eat for my own pleasure all the time. I should be 
eating for the glory of God. There's a lot <clears throat> that I'm going to give a little more attention to in detail. And you know what? You can make your pursuits get in front of God's pursuits in your life. The second thing I was thinking about I want to share with you, and I'll expound on these, is uh, we know that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he has. Jesus said that in Luke 12, right? A man's life does not consist in the, the abundance of the things he possesses. So your, your life is not measured by how much money you have or how much stuff you have or how many accomplishments you have. Your life is measured in your success with the Lord. Your life and my life is not about what you and I have accomplished, but it's about what the Lord has accomplished in us. And even in the church, that gets clouded. You know, we introduce and give accolades to preachers and people in the ministry because they've been doing it so long or because they've got this many people saved or planted this many churches or whatever. But the reality is, my life and your life is not what we've accomplished, but what the Lord has been able to accomplish through us. And the only way He can really accomplish those things in our lives is if He conquers us. Your whole life and my whole life is about decreasing so He can increase. And that never stops. That never stops. It don't stop when you're 40. It don't stop when you're 50. It never stops. We, we keep allowing God to conquer us so there will be less of us and more of Him. And that's what the world needs to see. Amen? What happened? What happens? So, all this journey I was on <clears throat> that God took me on, He started revealing some things to me. Now, I'm going to take you back to Knoxville, Tennessee. Even before I was married, I had two major prophetic things spoke over me. As I was already in the ministry. I wasn't in the ministry full time, but I was pursuing ministry. I knew I was going to be in the ministry full time. It was a, the transition between college and going to the coal mines to work for a season until I went in the ministry full time. And I had two major prophecies spoke over me in Knoxville, Tennessee. God, I'd started ministering in Knoxville down in Lonsdale. Lonsdale is like the worst most drug-infested community in Knoxville. And um, that those there, and then I was at another church being ministered to a few times whose pastor was a converted Jew. He was a Messianic Jew. And so I had connection in those places. And so the Lord prophesied over me two times by two men I'd never seen before in my life. I'd never seen them since. And both of those men shared things about my life and the past that I'd went through and then shared things about my future. Now, the reason God let them speak over me that way about my past was because so I would trust what they were going to say about my future. Uh, you know, when somebody tells you something that they shouldn't know, <laughs> when the Holy Spirit reads your mail through them, then, and, they, and they have discernment like that, then that sets you up so you can receive what they're going to tell you about things coming down the road. Uh, so one of the guys that prophesied over me, prophesied God's mantle on me and told me a few things about my past, but then the prophetic futuristic word, <clears throat> he said, don't ever, 
no matter how much God uses you and blesses through you, He said, don't ever steal His glory. Man, you talk about a word for a 19 or 20 year old man to set you straight, right? Don't steal God's glory. Just know that He's using you, that you found favor with Him, but do not steal His glory. Then over in the other church where I, this church I'd preached in, and uh, over the other church where the pastor was a converted Jew, uh, I was, I've shared a little bit of this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the expected end here. I'm at the church in a meeting, and the preacher, and I grew up around the full gospel. I grew up around a lot of it that was in the flesh, but God took me through a journey to give me the balance of it. Uh, and that's why I went the way, the route I went, but... He said, uh, he got through preaching and he was pacing. And I, I'd been in services where the Holy Spirit showed up and I knew he was there. Uh, I was on the back row. I didn't really want to talk to the Holy Spirit that night. And um, he starts pacing back and forth. and Then he looks back through there and he's trying to find somebody he wants to call up front. And, and I'm sinking down in my chair, <laughs> trying to hide behind the guy. But I'd already known, right, the Holy Spirit had my number. So he, he called me up, and I finally went up there, and man, he told me everything. I'd went through sh uh, shoulder surgery, uh, stuff, there's no way he knew. He, he read my mail. And I stood there just weeping. He was telling me things I'd been through, things that God was after, things that I was doing wrong. I mean, he read my mail, and I thought, no way you knew this. But it set me up because he was getting ready to lay out my future. And so then he started prophesying to me over about my future. I still wasn't married at this point. And he said, um, uh, you want to go down a path that I will lead you. He said, I, I'm, you will not follow another man's path. Because he knew I grew up around the full gospel and a lot of it was flesh and I didn't know any different. That's why he didn't want me to stay stuck where I was at. My wife grew up Baptist. I grew up full gospel. God put us together for a reason to balance us out so that we could see the reality of the Word and the Spirit agreeing. And so I'm just to be honest because that's where we came from. I grew up in a background that all they wanted was the Spirit. They didn't want the Word half the time. And if people left the church and didn't get the Word, they thought it was a good service. You mean heaven and earth will pass away, the Word will stand forever, and there's something better than that? And then my wife grew up in a church where the Spirit wasn't really welcome. You know, all they did was give a good devotional and the Spirit, you know, she grew up that way. I grew up. So God put us together for a reason. So then He tells me <clears throat> the things. And I was in the midst of this shoulder surgery, waiting for the result to come back of whether it was cancer or not. I was playing basketball in college, and the training room saw this big growth on my... Instead of sending me the doctor, they just started scrubbing that thing. <laughs> And I'm in a training room, the basketball training room, and about two days into them scrubbing, and I can't even raise my arm up. I'm like, so then they send me to the surgeon, and he looks at it. And this, is, this will open your eyes. He looks at it, and he says, that's got to come out today. <laughs> and I'm like, 
what? <laughs> so he numbs my shoulder. They didn't even put me out. He numbs my shoulder, starts cutting, and I can feel it. So they had to renumb me. And uh, so I drove back from the surgeon about an hour back to school, cried the whole trip, just wondering, right, young man. So I'm at this church, and this guy prophesies over me. He tells me everything's going to be good. I'm going to get a good report. I mean, he just really starts rolling. And he says, God's going to use me and talks about all these things. But the last thing he said to me that has yet to come to pass consistently, but I believe God meant it consistently. He said to me, he said, the captives you lay hands on will be set free. That was the last word I got that night. And you talk about a battle. Because you got a battle of your flesh. you got a battle of the devil. To get in a position where God can wholly consume who you are. And take over you fully. To get all the eros out. To get all our own ideas and all our presumptuous ideas. And all of what we think should happen. To get all of that out of us is a journey. And just in the last two or three years, I've been able to honestly say to the Lord, whatever it takes, you do whatever it takes, Lord, to take me where you want to take me so that I can be used fully for your glory. Now, I didn't know I was going to go this route. I didn't know all the things we were going to go through. But we're in the last days, and I'm trying not to preach because I don't think they want me to fully preach yet. But we're in the last days. Matthew Robbins needs to be at the top of his game in every way. Joe Douglas needs to be at the top of his game in every way. Brian Bradshaw needs to be at the top of his game. Dan Hitchcock. All of us need to be the most that we don't need to be letting up. We don't need to be consumed with our own agendas and our own pursuits. What's most important in life is not what you and I get done, but what the Holy Spirit gets done through us. Can you say amen to that? God has broken my bears. I'm so sick of denominations. I'm so sick of names over doors. I'm so sick of asking somebody if they love the Lord, and the first thing out of their mouth is they tell you they're a Baptist or a Pentecostal. Amen. What the heck's that all about? I want to know some people who are so in love with Jesus that they would lay their lives down for Him on the block. You all know I hang out with the monks sometimes, and a lot of them know who Jesus is. But if I had any question of whether God is as big as I thought He was, when I had that Catholic nurse ministering to me and speaking strength and encouragement in me, and when I had this Indian surgeon come in who's born again, spirit-filled believer, speaking words of God into me, that was just as important to her saying those stuff to me as it was for her to do the surgery. I'm telling you, our God is in charge. Amen. And you can, I know there's a lot of bad news out there, but I've got a book here that trumps every news broadcast in this United States. I've got good news right here. 
I've got the one who's going to return on the white horse someday. I've got the one who's coming back after us. I've got the one who's in charge of everything. I've got the one who holds the world in his hands. That's my Savior. That's my King. That's my Deliverer. I have good news. The gospel. <laughs> good news with the reward is what the gospel means in Greek. It means euglion. It's good news with a reward. And so God is on our side. And I am proof that He's on our side. Now, I want to say a few things to you before I close. Uh, I, I don't believe uh, suffering is part of God's plan for all of us. The Bible says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but He shall deliver them out of them all. Do not miss these moments. You may say, preacher, um, you think God allowed this? Yes. It couldn't have happened unless he allowed it. You may say, well, are you responsible for, for this? Maybe. Is the devil responsible for some of it? Maybe. I don't have all the answers to what brings something together. But I know things don't happen unless God allows them to happen. Do you think God is after some stuff in you, preacher? Yes. Do you think God is trying to make you more like His Son? Yes. Am I going to learn some new stuff out of this? Yes. Am I going to be different on the other side of this? Yes. I'm not just going to ride through this and think, how coincidental. My dad had it, you had it, just move on. No. These are moments where we get arrested in our journey and we need to be confronted by God. Listen, let me remind you of this. And this is kind of where I'm at right now. Moses was God's man. Handpicked by God. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. Handpicked by God and protected in the river by God. Was given over to Pharaoh's daughter, still watched over by God. And God pulled a fast one on them. His own mom got to raise him and nurse him and change it and get paid by the government for it. Beautiful story. And what faith Amram and Jochebed had to put their son right there in the river. God was, Moses was God's man. Moses gets up, gets in the flesh. Has anybody ever been in the flesh? Most of us have, the rest of you are lying. <laughs> Moses says, okay. And I can look at some moments in my life and say, yeah, that's been me. Moses says, okay, God's, I'm his man, I'm his deliverer. Get a little pride stirring in you, I'll just kill this guy and bury him in the sand. That wasn't God's way. Then Moses got run out of town, right? Or he had to flee. Now, but God does what? God enters into all things to work them for good, right? Moses still God's man. God says, I'm going to train you out here on the backside of the desert for a while. And I'm going to do some things in your life that are kind of going to catch you off guard, right? Think about it, right? Think about me. I was caught off guard. The two people that are ministering to me the most during this whole trial is a Catholic and a, uh, an Indian from Yale. They're the ones ministering to me the most. And I just love God. So Moses gets out there. Everything's set. Moses is getting ready to go back down and lead them out of the way. And then God stops him and is going to kill him. Now think about it. He's still God's man. And God's called him. He's been preserving him from the womb all the way out to the desert and back. 
and God protects him. Don't let him get thrown in jail or killed over killing the other guy. I mean, he just keeps taking care of him. And then he's on his way back in with his wife, Zipporah. And Zipporah, uh, God stops and said, the Bible said he was going to kill him in the way. And Zipporah circumcised their sons, gets God off his back, quote unquote. And he goes on in and finishes the task. Now, here's what you got to understand. God is never through working on you. But if your life and my life is more about our pursuits than His, it'll be a lot harder and a lot longer. Some place in our life is the place of total surrender. And I hope I found it. We got to find that place. If we're going to be sold out, born again believers. And I'm not saying everybody's past is going to be like mine. And I'm understanding with the mantle I have and with the platform God's given me that there may be a little more to that suffering than maybe the average person. I'm not even wanting even to compare. But I've got to help us all understand that your pursuit, what is it? What are you pursuing? God wants to be in front of your life every single day. Now, you're going to hear a lot of this. And I'm not going to stop what we've been doing. We're going to get back into Hosea and Samuel and all that. But I'm going, to, I'm going to sprinkle in these things, fresh revelations that God has given us. We are on the verge of the end of time. That's not change. Just because the preacher took a vacation for three weeks and come back, <laughs> that ain't changed. We, uh, we are living on the verge of the return of the Lord. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And those of us that alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This thing's coming to a close. And we cannot be cumbered about with our own stuff. God wants to take care of you and I. If there's something else He's proved, right? He, he took care of me. Right in the, midst of, in the middle of nowhere from my perspective, right? He took care of me. He was there, had everything lined up. And now he's answered my prayers. You know, I feel no gout in my body. I'm not a diabetic. I said, Lord, we got to get some of this stuff cleared up. You know, I just didn't know we was going to do it in Amarillo, Texas. Thought we might do it a little closer to home. But God is faithful. He's so faithful. And I love him. And I'm so encouraged by his hand in my life. And I'm encouraged by you all. You all have prayed and strengthened me. And I know... There have been people praying and praying and praying. And God orchestrated a set of events that has ministered to me and my wife, my family, my children. How uh, God worked out there. How He worked through many of you all. And God's plan has not stopped one iota. And uh, we're, we're ready to march forward. Amen? Amen? Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him some praise tonight. He's worthy. So I'll close with this. I want you to think about this because um, this was part of the yay that I got the morning to, for my confirmation before the surgeon came in with more confirmation. Um, in Psalm 102, I just want to read you this. And you'll get some ministry out of here and out of Peter and out of Ezekiel. As you'll see some things, the Lord's. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me. 
in the day that I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, my bones are burned like a hearth, my heart is stricken and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. Because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I lie awake. And I am like a sparrow alone on the housetop. My enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath. For you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like the shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come, for your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in His glory. He shall regard the prayer of of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. They will be written for the generation to come and a people yet to be created. My praise the Lord. May praise the Lord. For He looked down from the height of His sanctuary from heaven. The Lord viewed the earth. The Lord viewed the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner to release those appointed to death to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and His praise in Jerusalem. When the people are gathered together in the kingdom to serve the Lord, He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, O my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you have laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. God's going to win. No matter what you and I go through, no matter what the world throws at us, God's winning this battle. It's a done deal. The game's been fixed. We win. Amen? Give the Lord praise.